Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardana Osban, here with my friend Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachad Yabatmot, daf Kuf Chaf Aleph, page 121. Well, we're really in the final stretch. This is our second to last daf. Please sign up for our CM, which will, God willing, take place on July 10th, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. in Israel. Uh, we had some nice speakers lined up uh, and uh, we hope to conclude this interesting Masachat. Uh, there's an interesting Mishnah here as we continue our discussion about the identification of bodies. And now it's going to get into a discussion of what type of water uh, or what type of body of water do we allow one to presume death? So if somebody falls into water and we don't ever see them come out of the water, whether the body of water has a visible end, so that would be like a lake, a pond, or does not have a visible end, so that would be like the ocean or sea, ishto asura. In either of those cases, the wife is prohibited from remarrying because basically there's no proof that actually the man died. And the Gemara is then going to sort of share a series of stories. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, people who maybe disappeared in water uh, and uh, and still seem to appear afterwards. I'm a Rabbi Mayer. So Rabbi Meir says there was a story where somebody uh, fell into a big cistern and then came out three days later. Um, and so uh, his point here is, is that, you know, we, uh, you know, that sometimes a person could, uh, you know, that maybe, you know, somebody could survive even though somebody assumes that they actually are dead. Uh, the Gemara will go on to discuss this in a lot of detail. And one of the interesting comments that they make about it, I this was one of these daffs where I actually could have read almost everything on this daff. Um, and one of the interesting things that they say about it is, is for, you know, is, um, uh, you know, first of all, they try to say, how did that person survive, right? Is it that they drank water? Is it that they didn't sleep? But their bigger point is that we can't learn halacha from a miracle. Um, and I think that's like an interesting precedent uh, that this DAP wants to talk about. So pay attention to that later uh, when they discuss a little bit more about what this particular story of Rabbi Meir. I'm a Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi says, So there was a blind man who went uh, down uh, to uh, immerse in a cave, right? He went to go to a mikvah in a cave. And his guide went after him. And basically they disappeared and they stayed there long enough. In other words, they weren't seen for a long enough time that it was assumed that their their souls departed. It was assumed that they died. And the Chachamim Chazal allowed their wives to remarry because they went into this water and they didn't come out. There was a story in Asia. Right, where they lowered a man into the sea, basically on a rope. And the only thing that came up uh, was his leg. And again, they weren't sure if he was alive or dead, right? Maybe only the leg was bit off, and that was the part that you were seeing. Right? From the knee and above, he, she, his wife can marry. Um, and from the bottom, uh, and uh, if the leg is from the knee and below, she may not marry. So exactly that kind of thing. The assumption is, if it's above, 
that would be a major wound and there's no way this person could actually have survived. So the Gemara, I found, again, I could have read all of this. Um, and, um, you know, first the Gemara wants to get into a discussion of this concept of not follow my bain sov, sov, and ishto asura. It says that this has to be the words of Rabbi Meir. And the Chachamim say, if it has a sov, mayim she sov, then ishto muterit, because we're not worried that the body, the person could have washed somewhere else, excuse me, an alive person could have washed to a shore that you just didn't see. But if it does have an edge, if you know where the full body of water is, right, that's when she would be uh, prohibited. Um, and then the Gemara goes on to say, What's considered to be a, wa- a body of water that has a sof? Right, anywhere where you could see all four directions. Because again, you would see a person or a body emerge from that water. And so now they have a story. So there was someone who drowned in a lake called Samke. Um, and Rav Shela allowed his wife basically to remarry based on witnesses who basically said, we didn't see this person come out. So Rav, so Rav excuse me. So Rav said to Shmuel, we should execute him. We should excommunicate him, excuse me, because we just said that any, a lake where you could see all, you know, the Chachamim say something like a lake, right? That you, you can't make any, um, uh, you know, you, you, uh, uh, this wasn't the, this wasn't the correct, uh, this wasn't the correct ruling, right? That maybe, uh, that maybe this wouldn't be allowed. Um, and so then it goes on to say, I'm related so they said, let's, maybe he had a good enough reason, Shmuel says to him, to allow this ruling. So they ask him this question, Mayim she'en lahem sof, right? So if it's a Mayim she'en lahem sof, right? Ishto asurahu muterat. So they said, is the wife al- not allowed or allowed? Shlach ishto asurah. They said the wife isn't allowed. Ba'gami tesamke, Mayim she'yesh lahem sof, o Mayim she'en lahem sof. So they said, so this lake, what category does it fall into? It, does it have a sof or not have a sof? It's a water with no end. So therefore, how could he have said it was mutar? According to what Rav Shela says back to them, it's asor, right? Umar my tama avid So they said to him, what's the reason that you allowed this woman to remarry? So he says, yep, I actually, I made a mistake. Since the waters were, are gathered and stagnant, right? They don't flow like a river. So he thought that it was like considered to be like a body of water with a visible end. Below he, and he says it's not true. Right? Since there are some waves, waves could have carried him out of sight. So Rav Shela basically says he made a mistake here. Kari Shmuel laid to Rav. So Shmuel then says to Rav, and he quotes a pasuk here from Mishlei chapter 12, verse 21, Lo yeune kol avon. No mischief shall befall the righteous. Right? So what he's basically saying is he's saying, Shmuel saying to Rav, he didn't go right ahead and excommunicate Rav Shela, right? He prevented from an injustice happening, right? Rav Shela had made a mistake, but he didn't intentionally do it. Um, he didn't intentionally do it. 
Um, and so therefore, you know, Shmuel's praising Rav for sort of not excommunicating him right away. Kari Rav laid the Shmuel, and Rav said about Shmuel, Utishua Barovio Eitz. And he quotes also a Pasuk from Mishlei, chapter 11, verse 14, which says, but salvation lies in such counsel, where he basically says back to Shmuel, but you're the one who gave me that advice that we should figure out what the whole story is. So very interesting story because so far, like I think what the story is telling us is these cases were hard and mistakes were, were they could be made. Um, and, and these weren't really easy cases uh, to make judgments on. And Rav Shayla acknowledges that. He says, I, I totally made a mistake. I made an assumption about the body of water. It turned out not to be true. And in the end, we don't see the Rav or Shmuel excommunicate. They sort of accept like, okay, everyone did their best. But I think part of that also has to be because the the it's not like the man came back. Um, so it was a little bit of a different type of case. Uh, I'm not, I don't have time to read the rest of this. And Anne, I'm going to hand it over to you in a second. But then what basically happens is, is there's a series of different types of sort of uh, stories, you know, of men who entered, who had fishing nets and went into the Yardane uh, and, and what happened with them and, and a body, is a body found uh, or, or not found. Uh, then there's this interesting story with Rabban Gamliel. One version has it told by Rabban Gamliel about Rabbi Akiva possibly drowning. One is Rabbi Akiva talking about Rabbi Mayer possibly drowning. And then there's the story of the Gov Ariot falling into a lion's den and one about the Kivshan Ha'esh. Um, and I just can't help but notice for both of those that these are both things that actually um, take place in Nach itself, right? We have the story of uh, of Daniel and the lion's den, and then we have the story of his three uh, fellow prophets who go into the Kivshan Ha'esh. So there has to be something literarily going on here as well, um, which I found to be, uh, uh, which is also interesting. So I, I, I thought every piece of this Gemara and was just uh, uh, was just uh, fascinating. Uh, you're going to take it on. You're going to tell us a little bit more about the great. Le- There's a really good story that closes it out, which I'll let you read. Uh, and the next Mishnah. Yeah. So I have a, a little bit of a question about the. Uh, I don't know what the the frequency of drownings. I, it's hard to tell, right? Because. Some of this seems to happen, you know, kind of at the same time. We'd have to really break it apart and figure out who's in what generation and, you know, to what extent. I don't know. The The reality of this is hard to dispute. It really feels like these are stories that are, you know, front and center in, in people's accounts of what happened. And yet I kind of would like to probe each one and figure out what was really going on. Um, the, this story here, Dana, that you mentioned, this closing out story is as follows. So the rabbis taught, Now, we're going to talk about Nechunya, who here is uh, the digger of the wells, um, and this, his daughter fell into this Bor Hagadol. Bor literally means a pit or a cistern, and this this Bor Hagadol, this large or great cistern, seems to be something that was known Right, that it comes up in the story with Rebbe Mayer a little bit before where I'm reading, just before the Mishnah, and it seems to be like a the thing that everybody knew about that, that you could re, you could refer to it, right? Like it's a, you know if you live in a place where there's I don't know a fortress, you would just say the fortress or the tower or or that kind of thing. So it doesn't give us the specifics. There is some attempt, obviously, by commentaries and then by scholars to figure out exactly where this was, and the question of whether it was a cistern in or near um, 
the second temple where, you know, in that area is possible, um, meaning that it was even in Jerusalem, right? In any case, the daughter has fallen into this great well, great cistern, I guess. And they came and they told Rabbi Chanina Bendosa. Now, the question is, why are they doing this? The assumption is that he, they're asking him to, to daven, to pray on her behalf, right? The question of whether she's going to survive this fall is, you know, is presently an open question. Sha'ari shona amar shalom. Sniya amar shalom. Shlishit amar alta. So this is really interesting. After the first hour of this, you know, since she's gone into the cistern, he says shalom, meaning she is fine. She's not harmed. After that second hour, she, he says to them shalom again. She's fine. She's not harmed. And then at the third hour, he says to them alta. She's come up, meaning she's not only is she fine. She's actually come out of the cistern. Amar la. So then, right when he when. You know, some time passes, I assume, and she comes to Khanina Bendosa because, you know, she's fallen into the well. He's prayed on her behalf. He's made these assertions about her. So he says to her, Biti, ma'ahalach. And he says to her, What pulled you up? My daughter, what pulled you up from the cistern? Amralo, and she says to him, Zachar shel rechelim nizdamainli. When I was down there, a male sheep, meaning that's a ram, right, came by and and there was an old man that was leading him, meaning leading the, the ram, who then pulled her out. Amrulo, they said to, to him, Naviata, they said to Bentosa, are you a prophet? Meaning, how did you know that she was okay? How did you know when she came out? I love this expression. It's from a verse in Amos. I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. But rather, he says, um, how could it be that when Nechunya, the tzaddik, meaning is is um, is so busy with the digging of, of wells, how could it possibly be that his offspring, meaning his daughter, would fall, would stumble upon that same, in that same, the fruit of his labor, so to speak, and, and end up killed? Meaning the, he, he, Rabbi Hanina Bagdosa, had confidence that God would save her from this well. Now, let's just keep in mind that as much as this is a beautiful sentiment, it is certainly not always the case. You know, Rahman al-Islam, it's a terrible situation, but it certainly can be that a person can, in their own profession, you know, that their children could run into trouble. Um, but it works out here, right? Rabbi Khanina Bendosa is, is correct. Ama Rabbi Abba, af al-pichain So Rabbi Abba says, well, okay, you know, what you said may be true, but the son of Nechunya, who was the well digger, he died of thirst. And so that means that, like, even though his father was busy in, you know, making sure that everybody had water, it didn't protect the sun, right? This is a point that I've just made, right? That just because we can say it's to the credit of the father, and of course the child will be protected, it didn't always exactly work. And so we have this verse that's quoted here from Tehillim chapter 50, namely, so we learn then that, uh, that 
God is exacting with the surroundings, meaning with those righteous people who are so close to him, just like a hand's breadth, uh, uh, a hair's breadth, I'm sorry, uh, meaning such a, a tiny deviation from what's supposed to be righteous can end up being a, a harsh judgment. Rabbi Chanina Amar Mehacha and from this, says this is how we get the verse from a different verse in Tehillim in Psalms that God dreaded, um, a God dreaded in the great council of the holy ones and then is feared by all who are about him, meaning the people who are closest to God are sometimes the ones who are put to the test in the most, or for the most exacting kind of measures. Um, okay, so... You know, it's it's an interesting. Listen, Nechunya the Chofer Shichin. This Nechunya the Well Digger is not a prominent personality in Shas. We have this story specifically because of the events of his daughter, and then the counter event of his son. And then I have to wonder, you know, what really, how, how must it have been to be in this family where people are falling, you know falling into wells and suffering, dying from thirst. And again, I'm reminded, and this was my question at the beginning, to what extent was this simply practical, that this is what happened in the ancient world? And even though these kinds of events, I mean, I think they take place in every age, but perhaps they were simply more common back in the day. Okay, we have another Mishnah. Afilu shama min hanashim omrot meit ishploni dayo. If somebody heard from, quote, the women, meaning this is the the yap amongst the women that they said so-and-so died, dio, that is enough for to, to count as testimony to that same man's death. Even if you heard it from the kids, what are the kids saying? That they were going to eulogize and bury so-and-so, right? Then that would be enough for other people who hear the kids have this conversation to say, um, to attest to the fact that the person has died. Regardless of whether that person speaking, meaning these women or these kids, intend to be giving testimony, the very fact that it's not conscious also, meaning not intentional testimony like in a court, it, it almost lends greater weight to their words because they're just talking about what they're doing and they're talking about the death of a person, then presumably that person is actually dead, right? Rabbi Huda ben Bava Omer and Rabbi Huda ben Bava as Biisrael. This is all true when we're talking about a Jew, meaning who's providing this kind of information. Even if he intends for it to be considered formal testimony, we're going to accept the word, his word. Um, but if with a non-Jew, and this is not the most PC of statements, obviously, um, the dismissal of a, of a non-Jew's... Um, trustworthiness with regard to testimony is, listen, it's an, it's an old story, right? The people are, think that this is not so fair. But the point is that if he comes forward to give testimony and he treats it as testimony, then we're going to be concerned that he might be messing with it. He might be putting forth something false as if we're testimony. Whereas if he's saying something casual, then he is presumed to be having a sincere like a nothing of a conversation, and therefore his comments will be um, accepted as fact. 
Okay, with that, I'm going to close in the interest of time. Um, thank you, Yardina, for the heavy lifting of the first half of the DAF. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this DAF with its stories of reality of the events that took place in that day. Uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.